from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Dis Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Dis historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, thank you. So, have you recovered from the D23 Expo? Uh, barely. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I'm still I'm still tired out, and uh, that's going to be that way for quite a while, I'm sure. But uh, you know that that's just a that's just a physical thing. Uh, mentally, I think I'm back. I'm back, and I'm okay now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it takes a while to bounce back from that. It's it's a very intense but fun experience. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> three days, four days technically with our setup of just nonstop fun. But you know, mm-hmm. the keyword there is fun. It's it, it was a blast. <laughs> I you, so I thought you were going to say the keyword was nonstop. <laughs> well, that was also two keywords. I think they're both yeah. wild. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It was great. It was wonderful seeing all the listeners, um, especially the listeners to Connecting with Walt. Uh, it it really does my heart good when, um, you know, when we hear so many young listeners, yeah. you know, uh, uh, enjoy the show. I mean, I talk to a lot of middle schoolers, even younger, um, you know, high schoolers, college-aged, um, you know, young folk who, you know, it's just so nice to know that they... They're going to carry on the traditions and the knowledge of Walt and the Nine Old Men and the Imagineers, and that that they they continue to be inspired by them. I talked to a number of young people who, you know, their um, their career decisions that they're planning in their young lives for the future uh, are really impacted by Walt and his accomplishments. And it also makes me very happy when I hear how. Uh, listening to our show is a family event. Yeah, absolutely. For a lot of people, that parents and children, you know, listen together. Yeah, I, so. I really just wish that uh, we wouldn't have had to run around so much. We actually would have had more time to to spend just chatting and gabbing away with people. It seemed like it, every time we got two minutes, we were just ready to uh, ready to leave to go somewhere else. So. Maybe one day it'll all work out perfectly where we can actually just have a, a fun meetup where there's no work involved. I know. I know. Yeah, we never. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that would be nice. So someday. Yep. Someday. So, and uh, But it was great because I bumped into people at the parks and you know, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So anyway. So thank you to everybody who came up and said hello and i i know i got messages from people afterwards who said you know they they kept coming to the booth and you know we weren't there or we were busy we we're in yep. the middle of recording or doing something so they didn't want to disturb us so um so anyway so thank you to everybody yes thank you we'll look forward we'll look forward to seeing you next time too well, in today's episode, Craig and I are going to make the Magic Kingdom's Liberty Square great again by taking a walk through the history of this land unique to the Magic Kingdom. 
So let's begin our exploration by going back to an idea for a side street expansion that Walt Disney had for Disneyland's Main Street USA. He called this Liberty Street, and it was going to be themed to the original 13 colonies of the United States in 1776. Now, Walt believed an increasing number of Americans, especially children, did not understand nor appreciate their patriotic heritage. So the purpose of Liberty Street would be to provide guests with a better understanding and greater pride for their country. Planning for Liberty Street began in 1957, shortly after the theatrical release of Johnny Tremaine, with an anticipated opening date for 1959. Craig, have you seen Johnny Tremaine? I have. I uh, caught it on one of the Treasures from the Disney Vault um, mm-hmm. specials that uh, that they had couple uh, summers ago right around july 4th they they played that and then they had uh, right after they followed it up with uh ben and me the, the oh that's cute great yeah. short so no I, <laughs> I have surprisingly enough i have seen johnny tremaine and i loved it it was it was such a skewed take on our history but really entertaining at the same time mm-hmm. I haven't seen it since they, you know, reran it on, you know, the wonderful world of color. Yeah. <laughs> so I have, I think I have it on DVD. So I have to rewatch it. Yeah, meanwhile, so, I-, I loved it. Right now, I'm just I'm in that camp of well, now we know because of D23 Expo that uh, that we're losing great movie ride, and that in fact that everything with TCM is going the way that they said, but I'm really hoping that they still worked out a deal where uh, they continue the treasures from the Disney vault. Uh, so classics like Johnny Tremaine keep getting out there. I, I know there's, it's they do have one more on the schedule, I believe I saw for September or October, so hmm, fingers okay. crossed it'll continue. Oh, we'll have to check that out. Yeah. Maybe do another bonus episode. Yeah, absolutely. But, but um, yeah, and have those, has that, to digress a bit, has that series been popular for Turner Classic Movies? Do you know? I, I'm i not sure if it's been popular for them. Uh, I'm not sure how they gauge their popularity. Uh, all I can do is speak with, like I've, I've mentioned when we've talked about it, I am one of those crazy people when I'm watching it live. I'm I'm tweeting along with everyone else using the TCM party hashtag and, and the uh, you know Disney Vault hashtag going along with it. And there is a big community that does watch these together at the exact same time and and jokes around with a lot of the material because yeah, it's it, when you're showing some of the stuff that Disney did um, in the the 50s and 60s through the 80s. It's it's not really great in a lot of cases. Um, so I, there is a there is a big community out there who is watching um, watching Treasures from the Disney Vault. So I just don't know if it's a, a greater amount than who uh, than they typically have tune into their programming on the channel. Yeah, I'm just wondering if it was popular. Disney might find another you know platform for let's series. hope they need to yeah so it's important those the movies and specials they need to they need to see the light of day um because and i like that they do it in that format so that way you don't have to shell out all that money just to to blindly see it you know you already mm-hmm. pay so much for cable and 
other types of access just to the internet alone. It would be great for a lot of these older forgotten classics if Disney could just give them to you for free uh, Mm -hmm. every now and then. Yes. (laughs) Now, Now, concepts for Liberty Street included a recreation of Independence Hall with a Liberty Bell that would be constantly tolling. Um, Guests would enter Independence Hall, sometimes it was called Liberty Hall in the plans, to visit two attractions, the Hall of the Declaration of Independence, in which the dramatic story of the birth of the United States would be presented in tableaus. And then the Hall of Presidents of the United States would feature the show One Nation Under God, in which narrations by U.S. presidents would tell the history of the United States as guests viewed a circorama film of significant events in our history. This attraction would be heavily dependent on the new audio-animatronic figure technology, which was in very early development at this time. Now, also on Liberty Street would be a blacksmith shop, an apothecary, a glassmaker, a weaver, a print shop, insurance office, um, silversmith, and a cabinet maker. And all the shops and exhibits would be themed to the types of jobs and crafts common in colonial America. And the shops would also be living history exhibits, similar to Colonial Williamsburg. So the shopkeepers would not only sell their wares, but they would also practice their crafts for guests to enjoy and learn. So although a lot of development went into this plan, Walt decided to use his financial and creative resources to add the monorail, submarine voyage, and Matterhorn to Tomorrowland in 1959. So, you know, a good trade-off, I think. Oh, yeah. Especially when you think about uh, maybe the attractions would have survived to this day. Um, But things like the blacksmith shop and the glassmaker, you know, those would not still be around at this point. If they would be, they'd be the facades, but with just normal gift shops on the inside. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Now, when Walt passed away in 1966, plans for Liberty Street were put on hold. The concept for Liberty Street was again proposed to be built and opened at Disneyland in time for the United States Bicentennial in 1976, but the attraction America Sings and America on Parade were instead added to the park to commemorate that historic event. When Walt passed away, development was underway for Disney World in Orlando, Florida, renamed Walt Disney World by Walt's brother Roy. As concepts for the Magic Kingdom were proposed, Imagineers believed that real New Orleans was geographically too close to build another New Orleans square, which is the land where Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion are located at Disneyland. So as we stated, though, in previous episodes, good ideas never truly go away at Wet Imagineering. Imagineers working on the Magic Kingdom thought this would be a good opportunity to bring Walt's idea of Liberty Street to reality. Imagineers brought out Walt's original plans, and after much review and revision, Liberty Square was added to the layout for the Magic Kingdom and would be one of six lands to open on October 1st, 1971. It was also thought having the patriotic Liberty Square open five years before the country's bicentennial in 1976 would help boost park attendance. So, Craig, let's take our guests across the footbridge from the Central Plaza into Liberty Square. 
So crossing the footbridge from the hub symbolically takes us from the old world to the new world. If you travel from the area near Peter Pan's flight in Fantasyland, that walk symbolically takes you from London to colonial America. Now there are four eras represented in Liberty Square. Ye old Christmas shop in the area closest to the central plaza places guests in the colonial Williamsburg area. At the Haunted Mansion, guests find themselves in the early 1700s time period and Dutch Gothic architecture of New York's Hudson River Valley. The Columbia Harbor House restaurant and surrounding area places guests in the mid-1700s and the New England waterfront. The Hall of Presidents is Dutch New Amsterdam and Williamsburg Georgian architecture, both of which were common in the late 1700s. So the bridge leading from the central plaza to Liberty Square represents the old Concord Bridge, the site of the first battle of the American Revolution. On opening day, 13 flags of the original states lined the bridge as you walked into Liberty Square. During a redesign of the entrance in 1991, the flags were relocated to surround the Liberty Bell. The entrance was redesigned to include the guardhouse and brick walls. Hmm. A plaque at the entrance to Liberty Square reads, From this gateway stirs a new nation waiting to be born. Thirteen separate colonies have banded together to declare their independence from the bonds of tyranny. It is a time when silversmiths put away their tools and march to the drums of a revolution, a time for gentlemen planters to leave their farms and become generals, a time when tradesmen leave the safety of home to become heroes. Welcome to Liberty Square. I I just didn't even know that they had redesigned the entrance at one point, so uh, the flags, that would have all been changed by my first trip as a five-year-old to Walt Disney World, so I, I mm-hmm. guess I've just never noticed in pictures that it was different before. But mm-hmm. and, and the bridge has been redesigned as well yeah, yeah. Yeah, since then. Very, very interesting. <clears throat> so let's go for a walk around Liberty Square and check out some of the details. You'll notice the shutters on the windows are slightly askew. And this is because during the Revolutionary War, the colonists needed every scrap of metal to make bullets. And this included replacing the metal hinges on their shutters with leather hinges. Time and weather caused the leather hinges to stretch, resulting in the shutters hanging slightly off kilter. I mean, talk about a knife for detail. Oh, that absolutely <laughs> is. I guarantee you probably only 10% of people even notice that they're they're slightly askew and probably one percent of that actually takes the time to learn why yeah yeah and and the leather hinges are very common during the pioneer days Mm -hmm. so now look down to see that trail of what appears to be brown gravel running through liberty square this brown trail represents the open sewers of colonial america So they really got into the details here. Oh, yeah. Um, Waste thrown from upper windows of homes would collect in the middle of the roads. That is one of the many reasons women carried parasols and men wore hats when taking a stroll. Yeah, and this one's a little bit more well-known, the the (laughs) difference in the the color of the ground and why that is. But it's, again, that that attention to detail, that's, that's kind of the details that... Disney just doesn't do anymore to this extent. So, and mm-hmm. 
it, it's sad because it, it's so cool. It is so different. I'm just impressed they even thought of this. I know, right? <laughs> and that it somehow it passed. Yeah. You know, it passed. <laughs> yep, yep, that's a good idea. Check, and I, moved I, on from there, you know. <laughs> I just can't imagine that happening today. No. Well, it's cheaper to do it all the same color. Why wouldn't we just do that? Mm-hmm. And and we don't want to really talk about waste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but speaking of waste disposal, Imagineers kept with Walt's desire for authenticity to the extreme. There are no indoor restrooms in Liberty Square, except for those required inside full-service restaurants, because indoor toilets did not exist in colonial times. Restrooms were constructed on the far left side of Columbia Harbor House because that portion of the restaurant geographically sits in Fantasyland, which is in Europe, not colonial America. Mm -hmm. Now, on a building next to the Hall of Presidents facing the waterfront is a window with two lanterns. And I think that building is supposed to represent the Hall of Burgess. Mm -hmm. Um, This represents the two lanterns that were placed in the spire of the Old North Church to warn Paul Revere of the movements of the British Army. One if by land, two if by sea. If you walk around the corner of the same building, you'll see the residents of that home are ready to take up arms. During the Revolutionary War, the townsmen would place their rifle in the window to indicate they were home and ready to answer the call to arms. The Liberty Bell has come to be one of the most identifiable symbols of the American Revolution. The original Liberty Bell was commissioned from the London firm of Lester and Pack at the Whitechapel Foundry in 1751. The bell was emblazoned with the phrase from the book of Leviticus, Proclaim liberty throughout the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It rang from a steeple in the Pennsylvania State House, now known as Independence Hall. It was never recorded as to when and how the bell cracked, but attempts to repair the crack only made it worse. (laughs) The Magic Kingdom celebrated the bicentennial of the U.S. Constitution in 1987 and put on temporary display a reproduction of the Liberty Bell on loan from the Mount Vernon Memorial Park and Mortuary of Fair Oaks, California, through June 1989. And guests were so disappointed when the Liberty Bell reproduction was removed that Disney show properties and interiors decided to obtain a reproduction to put on permanent display. And this bell was cast by Packard Foundry of Annecy, France. And I apologize to all our French listeners because I'm (laughs) sure I mispronounced that. Using the original Liberty Bell mold, and it was placed on permanent display in its current location shortly before July 4th, 1989. The bell is made primarily of copper, but also contains tin, lead, zinc, arsenic, gold, and silver. The bell is eight feet high, including the stock, and weighs two and a half tons. Note the spelling of Pennsylvania. There's only one N in the beginning, P-E-N-S-Y-L-V-A-N-I-A. This was the accepted alternate spelling in the late 1700s, and it was the spelling used by Alexander Hamilton on the signature page of the U.S. Constitution. I have to tell you, I... I love when I see people actually taking pictures with the Liberty Bell there. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen very often, and um, a lot of times when I see it, it is foreign <coughs> families for some reason. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why they, they get enjoyment out of taking 
taking a picture next to the Liberty Bell, but uh, it's just, it's one of those things that most people just like walk right past it unless they're sitting mm-hmm. waiting for the parade to come through they don't take the time to notice that it's right there and mm-hmm. uh to me i i don't know how you can walk past it and not notice it at all and not not take the time to see the detail that was put in like just like the the rest of the land i mean liberty square is arguably the most the most detailed land in the magic kingdom as a whole so uh, and you, you can certainly get much closer to the reproduction than you can to the original Liberty yeah. Bell that's yeah. on display now in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, I, you know, but some, isn't that always the way, though? Sometimes people who are visitors to our country or who immigrate to our country have a much deeper appreciation for what 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 this country represents oh, it's, uh, than, um, than those of us who were born here and we sort of take it for yeah. granted. Oh, I, I will just say, like, tangent, but not really. Um, when I was working in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, uh, during my first uh, <coughs> year there or so, they were still bringing over uh, British, uh, British students to work inside the Wizarding World. And we would obviously go to Disney on our days off to have fun and walk around there. And they were all obsessed with doing the American Adventure and Hall of Presidents and all of the very patriotic, uh, patriotic American attractions that we have. And they, they got a kick out of it. That like, it's, it's so weird to see see how how we approach. Uh, our our history and culture so it really is it's a, it's a bizarre thing that other cultures seem to have more of an appreciation of our history unless it's the fourth of july period and then mm-hmm. everyone's got to put on their old navy shirts and head out to <laughs> head out yeah. to celebrate and shoot off their fireworks yeah. i wonder if it's the same that i've not had the opportunity to travel in europe i wonder if it's the same there though i wonder if people from the united states tend to go to their cultural icons and like the changing of the guard oh i uh, 100 believe so yeah yeah Yeah. so it it probably is reciprocal it's that's the that's the history lesson of today is that Mm -hmm. tourists care more about the culture than the people who live there do yes (laughs) now one of the most um notable things about liberty square is that it is the land at the Magic Kingdom that has seen the fewest changes. Other than some cosmetic changes, like the redesigning of the entrance and moving the 13 colonial flags to surround the Liberty Bell, today's guests are pretty much experiencing the same Liberty Square as guests in 1971. There is one fairly significant change, though. In 1971, there was no ye old Christmas shop across from the Hall of Presidents. That colonial Williamsburg-style building was home to three businesses. Um, Mademoiselle Lafayette's Parfumerie, at the time, it was one of only four perfume shops in the United States offering guests the opportunity to blend their own fragrances. Um, Guests' blends were recorded at the shop so guests could purchase refills during their next visit. A similar shop was located in New Orleans Square at Disneyland. The silversmith shop was where guests could purchase silver trinkets. According to the backstory, this was the shop of Johnny Tremaine, the hero of Walt Disney's live-action film based on a book by Esther Forbes. Um, Lafitte's silver shop in Disneyland's New Orleans Square 
also sold jewelry and silver merchandise. Old World Antiques was a shop offering authentic antiques and reproductions, ranging in price from five to $15,000. A similar shop called the One of a Kind Shop was located in Disneyland's New Orleans Square. So a lot of similarities between the two unique lands of each park. Yeah, I, I know you're about to go into more of the backstory with the old Christmas, ye old Christmas shop, but can, can we go back to, sure. to those three unique shops? Um, mm-hmm. I, I would rather have that than having the same exact Christmas ornaments that are sold in every other Christmas ornament store on Disney property. It's, it, I agree. The other stores seem a little bit more unique. I agree. I, I remember uh, when I was a boy, my 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 female relatives always went into the perfume shop, yeah, and they and they would spend an interminable amount of time mixing their fragrances and uh, and I, even though we do have a perfume shop back in New Orleans Square, they're selling perfumes you can get pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Oh, well, and, if you could do your own blends still in Walt Disney World, I could see Pete spending hours in there so and and i know in terms of new orleans square uh the first like three trips i took out there he just constantly talked about the jewelry store that used to be there that he bought Mm -hmm. one of his favorite pieces at i mean people people loved these these unique stores that just didn't didn't hawk merchandise you could get anywhere else on property or anywhere anywhere at any department store even for that so um and and these stores didn't necessarily make money. Uh, definitely Old World Antiques yeah. or Disneyland's one-of-a-kind shop did not. They were put there because for the thematic element. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's just not done as much yeah. today. Well, that's it's the Old World, World Antiques actually sounds a lot at Universal. They have a, a prop shop now. Where it's kind of filled with antiques as well as... Um, Props from retired attractions, uh, props that they used to place around the park that are often authentic and antiques, and you know they've same exact thing. It, it basically goes from five to uh, like the when they were selling the twister cows in there, those were thousands <laughs> of dollars. Um, so it, it, I feel like they kind of took a note from Disney's book and they did that in their own way and that's one of the coolest stores to walk in and see mm-hmm. like especially all the cameras they have all these old vintage cameras in there so maybe maybe Disney needs to revisit this idea it's okay I, to lose I agree. money yeah yeah it's, it's, you know people like to browse and people I know in I know in the Disneyland um, one of a kind shop and in the jewelry shop that followed it I know people that like bought their wedding rings there oh, yeah. and all that so definitely there was a trade going on yeah so now these old shops well these shops that fit so well you know with the theme of Liberty Square closed as we were discussing and on February 5th 1996 the ye old Christmas shop opened in their place and the backstory for this shop was written by Imagineering show writer Sean Slater and this is what he wrote Here in Liberty Square, at the close of the 18th century, Americans herald the birth of a new nation and their newfound freedoms, including the religious freedom to celebrate the traditions of Christmas. It's a simpler observance prior to the advent of tinsel or trees or Santa Claus. Beautiful greens adorned with fruit and pine cones and other natural items decorate doors, sashes, and mantles. Candles gleam in every window, and you can almost smell the mince pies and plum pudding baking. 
Ye Old Christmas Shop is actually a series of buildings, storefronts, and second-story residences, brimming with busy craftspeople preparing for the upcoming festivities. Each shop has its own purpose and thereby its own character. More formal in nature, the music teacher's shop is set with recorders, mandolins, and fiddles, perhaps readied for playing at a ball in honor of Twelfth Night, which is January 6th. (laughs) The music on the sheets and meeting the ear is that of Watts' beloved Joy to the World, and traditional English favorites, the Holly and the Ivy and I Saw Three Ships. Next door is a woodcarver shop, casual and more rough-hewn. The tools of the trade sit amidst curled shavings of pine and cherry. In the corner is a lovingly crafted hobby horse, and decorative holiday ornaments are all around. Nearest the Liberty Tree is the quaint home of a family of Pennsylvania Germans, folk artists and craftsmen, whose hospitality is evident in the beautiful items they offer for sale and in the pot of hot cider they keep on the stove. They are always ready to welcome townsfolk and travelers alike, spreading wishes of good cheer. At ye old Christmas shops of Liberty Square, Christmas comes anew with the dawning of each day, its spirit alive forever in the hearts and homes of its residents. It's a great now, story. <laughs> isn't it a wonderful story? Yeah. He really he really crafted that well. Oh yeah. Um, the portion of the shop that became the Pennsylvania German family home was originally the silversmith shop and included a wood-burning stove. So the stove reference in the story treatment was intended as a reason to keep it, but it was ultimately removed to allow for more display, display space. Outside that family home is a heart-shaped plaque identifying the family as Keppel, established 1779. This is actually a hidden Disney reference in honor of Walt Disney's great-great-great-grandfather, Keppel Disney, who was born in Ireland in 1776, and is also a reference to the birth of the United States of America. So I can't figure out then why didn't they put established 1776. Yeah, right. Anyway. Now, there were more attempts to incorporate thematic elements of Liberty Square into this shop. The sign for the music shop declared music and voice lessons by appointment, Ichabod Crane Instructor, which is, of course, a reference to Walt Disney's animated feature, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, and complements the nearby Liberty Square Sleepy Hollow refreshments. The woodcarver shop had a wooden Pinocchio figure on an upper shelf of the shop. Now, since Ye Old Christmas Shop opened in 1996, many of the elements that served to tell the story of the shop have been rearranged or removed, but you can still find many of these original references today if, yeah. if you look very hard. I was going to say, the, the story, the backstory is far more interesting than walking into your Christmas shop is today. Um, while, while I will go in there to escape the heat, there's there's no reason to really go into it. <laughs> Just go to Disney Springs and go to the marketplace, to the Christmas shop there. It's much, much more wide open and all of the same stuff in a more enjoyable environment. Yeah, yeah. Another important element of Liberty Square... And again, it's one that most guests walk past is the Liberty Tree in Mm -hmm. front of the Liberty Tree Tavern, of course. 
This tree got its name from, again, the 1957 Walt Disney film, Johnny Tremaine. If you take a peek into the branches of the Liberty Tree, you will see hanging 13 lanterns, which represent the original 13 colonies. The tree weighs approximately 38 tons and is the largest living thing in the Magic Kingdom. This southern live oak is more than 130 years old, and it was originally on the southern side of the Disney property. The problem was the tree, weighing in at 38 tons, um, needed a unique way to move it without killing it. The root ball was over 18 feet by 16 feet and over 4 feet deep. You cannot just lift it with a cable wrapped around it. If the tree had been moved by lifting it with cables, the bark and cambium layers vital to the tree's survival would have been crushed by the weight of the tree. However, this was not a problem for Bill Evans. He was Disney's director of landscape architecture. Um, During the construction of Disneyland, he had invented a way to move a large coral tree that Walt wanted relocated. Evans bored several holes through the trunk of that tree and then inserted steel pins. And then the tree could easily be lifted and not damage the bark or the root ball. So using this method, the Liberty Tree was transported and lowered into its present position, and then the second younger oak was grafted onto it at the base to enhance its shape and presence. Um, The tree symbolizes the original Liberty Tree in Boston by patriots who called themselves the Sons of Liberty, and it was officially christened the Liberty Tree in 1765. And it was an icon of freedom of speech and assembly, and the patriots would gather under its limbs to protest the imposition of the Stamp Act. Now, in Liberty Square's early years, there were several forms of live entertainment. There was a fife and drum court called the Ancients of Liberty Square, who performed until 1980, and then they were replaced by smaller drum and fife corps. Um, there was also a Liberty Square town crier uh, who rang his bell to attract guests and then read the latest news from a scroll. And Benjamin Franklin used to regularly stroll through Liberty Square. Every day a ceremony was held in front of the Liberty Bell called the Sons and Daughters of Liberty. And in this ceremony, the Liberty Square Fife and Drum Corps marched out with two children who had been pre-selected and prepped. A cast member dressed in colonial-era clothing read a proclamation declaring these two young guests as newly named members of the Sons and Daughters of Liberty. And this ceremony was later moved to the American Pavilion at Epcot Center. October 26, 2009, saw the temporary edition of Tiana's Showboat Jubilee Show on the Liberty Bell. This party featured characters from Walt Disney Pictures' The Princess and the Frog, including Princess Tiana and Prince Naveen. It began in Liberty Square before moving to the water's edge. Uh, Princess Tiana and Prince Naveen then board the Liberty Bell with a live jazz band and join the other characters, including Louis, uh, Dr. Facilier, and his friends. The show ended its run in January 2010. Good a little rhythm. bit out of place. Exactly. In it, America. It, it, it makes so much sense for New Orleans Square at Disneyland. Absolutely no sense in Liberty Square. So I, I know I caught this at least once um, during the trip. And 
yeah, it just out of place completely. Mm-hmm. I love Princess and the Frog. I just wish they could finally do it justice um, mm-hmm. in the parks. It, it deserves it. Yeah, and, and you can see this. Uh, th- there's plenty of video on YouTube yeah. of this show and of the New Orleans Square version, where you're right, it fit in perfectly there. Mm-hmm. And they and they brought it back year after year. It became like Tiana's Mardi Gras, Julie. Yeah. It became all kinds of things. And the nice thing is, is that we still have like Tiana and. Um, Naveen makes an appearance periodically. Uh, Dr. Facilier is back, you know, in yeah. New Orleans Square. So um, so they do have a, uh, they continue to have a presence yeah. in, in, in New Orleans in, Square. Yeah, in, uh, you know, Princess Tiana and Prince Naveen, you can still see them in Magic Kingdom uh, mm-hmm. still. So uh, they, they didn't disappear either, just they don't fit in Liberty Square at all. No, so. no. Now, <laughs> premiering on October 2nd, 2016, The Muppets present great moments in American history. And this is a live show featuring The Muppets who present wacky retellings of notable milestones in American history, primarily from the colonial era. The majority of the show unfolds from the second-story windows of the Heritage House, adjacent to the Hall of Presidents. Due to the distance between guests and the Muppet characters, the Muppets are 5% larger than the size traditionally used for film and television. Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, Gonzo, and Sam Eagle are featured in the show. A live cast member portrays James J.J. Jefferson, the town crier, who engages the audience in the Declaration of Independence sketch. Each show performance features one of two sketches. There's the Declaration of Independence. Sam and J.J. narrate the events that unfolded during the 1776 Second Continental Congress in Philadelphia and the eventual drafting of the Declaration of Independence. The historical figures depicted include Thomas Jefferson, portrayed by Kermit, John Adams, portrayed by Gonzo, and Benjamin Franklin, portrayed by Fozzie. Miss Piggy portrays the dual gender role reversal of George Washington and King George III. Mm-hmm. The- the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere, as uh, Sam retells Henry Wadworth's Longfellow's poem, Paul Revere's Ride, depicting the subject of Paul Revere, um, portrayed by Kermit, historical Midnight Ride. So the Muppets are physically performed live in the show by the park's in-house puppeteers in synchronization to a pre-recorded dialogue track. The Muppet Studio and Muppet performers Steve Whitmire as Kermit the Frog, Eric Jacobson as Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear and Sam Eagle, and Dave, oh, I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Goltz. Dave Goltz, thank you. As Gonzo, who's my favorite character, provided consultation as well as recording the voices for their characters. So, so Craig, what do you think of um, the Muppets present great moments in American history? I personally think it's among the best entertainment that you can find in the Magic Kingdom. Um, I think the shows are... They're hilarious, and uh, they do, while butchering history a little bit here and there, they still do uh, They do teach a lesson to people who maybe haven't heard these stories before in that entertaining Muppet way. And 
uh, while it is very out of place in the the giant walkway that they decided to put the show, uh, I I absolutely love it. I think it's uh, again, I, I think it's it's the one of the most entertaining things you can actually find in the Magic Kingdom, and uh, it, it brings it brings a certain life to Liberty Square. Um, especially when you do walk past and you just happen to catch it and um you know they with especially the shows that they have with JJ when he is acting as the town crier and getting the crowd really involved into the we are revolting and some of the chants that go along with it uh, it just it, it there's a sense of liberty in there that that I pick up on I know I know you don't have as strong of feelings, you. I believe you believe the show's entertaining, but in a complete wrong place. I agree. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I, I, I really like the Muppets, and um, I and I do agree with you. This is probably the most entertaining um, show in the Magic Kingdom. I don't think it belongs in Liberty Square. I think it's a great show in the wrong place. If we thought, in my opinion, if we thought Tiana's. Uh, showboat Jubilee was in the wrong, you know, not very accurate to the theme. I think this is as well. I think they could have done the same kind, brought the same kind of life and these shows um, and and made these stories entertaining. Sort of the way, you know how at Disneyland they have um, Princess Fantasy Fair at the Royal Theater Mm -hmm. where they use a British pantomime style to retell the story of Tangled or Beauty and the Beast or... um, Frozen, Frozen. Yep. and um, they do it in a very entertaining way, but in a you know in in, in a, but a humorous way. Yeah, I think if they had done something like that, where they had some traveling a traveling colonial theater troupe who could have presented these in exactly the same way as the Muppets, um, that with that same humor and a, you know little bodiness. Um, I think it would have brought that life and that entertainment to the to that area of Liberty Square, which yeah. I agree it needs it, it needs that element, especially since there's no entertainment in there now. They yeah. got rid of the fife and drum corps. They got rid of Benjamin Franklin. They got rid of all their little ceremonies. You know, the Sons and Daughters of Liberty. Um, they do need something there. Yeah. I, I don't feel this is it. I wish they would figure out what to do with the Muppets. Yeah. It's like they can't figure out what to do with them. I, I think this and, is... It is a step in the right direction, though. I, I think they... You know, I, arguably one of the most popular Muppet movies that they've ever made is Muppet Christmas Carol. And that's kind of the same exact mindset as this. Mm-hmm. Take take the Muppets and, uh, you know, attach them to... In, in the case of Christmas Carol, let's take the uh, the fictional characters and attach them to that. This is actually historical characters, and uh, I think it that is where the Muppets are can be at their best when they're mm-hmm. they're portraying characters like this. Uh, and so, I, I I think it I do believe it works. I just I hate that it's in the middle of a pathway like that. It just clogs yeah. everything up. It's not. It's the location that they had to put it in, um, but I, I I think kind of along your line, saying if you could have even like built a separate theater somewhere 
off to the side and had other shows just besides the Muppets. Maybe maybe things could have worked out a little bit better with it, but um, I I believe it's still popular. Every time I walk past, there's always a crowd uh, waiting to watch it. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, it, I'd rather have Muppets than nothing at all. I don't know. <laughs> I I I want to have Muppets. I want to have them in a the proper venue. But anyway, but and hopefully they'll find they'll find a good spot yeah. for them one so, day. And yeah. Anyway, I, and uh, one thing that I I really miss uh, in both Disneyland and Liberty Square is the Mike Finn Keelboats. Uh, this was an opening day attraction, and it was based on Walt Disney Television shows and feature length films: Davy Crockett's Keelboat Race and Davy Crockett and the River Pirates. These boats were free-floating and traveled around Tom Sawyer Island. The attraction was named after the King of the River, who lost the keelboat race. The Mike Finn keelboat dock was located near the Haunted Mansion. In 1998, the Mike Finn keelboats moved from the Liberty Square dock to the former dock of Davy Crockett's Explorer Canoes in Frontierland near Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. A small shop located in that same area closed in 1996 and had several names over the years. Uh, the Keelboat Hat Shop, Keelboat Shop, and Ichabod's Landing. Uh, regrettably, the Keelboat sailed around the Rivers of America for the last time in 2001. And I believe, as we said in the Frontierland episode, you can still see the exact dock where the uh, where the Keelboats were, were used at, um, right beside where the... Uh, the the river boats are so you just have to you have to kind of view it from the right angle kind of mm-hmm. um from the from the side of the rivers uh right in frontier land but definitely check that out if you've never really looked for it before oh yeah it's still right there yeah. and i i was i think at one time the one in the dock in liberty square was a smoking area wasn't it and then it was the fast pass queue for a little while mm-hmm. for the Haunted mm-hmm. Mansion. Yes. Um, they've used it for different things. Yeah. So. At one time, two riverboats docked in Liberty Square. The first riverboat, Admiral Joe Fowler, had a very similar appearance to the Mark Twain riverboat at Disneyland. The Fowler was built at the Morgan Yacht Company in Florida and then put together in the Magic Kingdom dry dock. The Fowler's sister ship, Richard F. Irvine, went into service on May 20th, 1973. And a 1973 issue of the Disney publication Eyes and Ears reported, The 42 men in a metal shop in the facilities division are familiar with three different types of vessels because since opening, they have become tradesmen in the art of building boats. When the Rivers of America needed another boat, the next question was, who will build it? After much investigation, pencils, paper, and figuring, everything pointed to the building right here on property. Thus, the Richard Irvine became the first attempt at boat building for the metal shop. The Irvine is a 400-passenger sternwheel paddle boat, which is a replica of those riverboats that paddled up and down the Mississippi River in the 1800s. Construction took about six months. Of course, the metal shop can't take all the credit. The planning department begins months ahead of time to prepare production schedules and lists of materials. The mill shop, paint shop, staff shop, and electric shop all contribute their part to the finished product. 
Now, the Richard Irvine has only one smokestack, whilst the Admiral Fowler had two smokestacks. In 1996, the Irvine went through an extensive refurbishment and was renamed the Liberty Bell. So today we have only the Liberty Bell. So you might be asking, what happened to the Admiral Fowler? The steamship served from October 2nd, 1971, one day after the park opened, until fall 1980, when it was moved to dry dock for routine refurbishment. When the steamship was set on the resting carriage, it wasn't centered properly and slipped when the water was drained. It was so badly damaged, it was deemed irreparable. After the Richard F. Irvine was renamed the Liberty Bell, the three ferry boats carrying guests across the Seven Seas Lagoon were renamed in honor of men who were instrumental in constructing both Disneyland and Walt Disney World, Admiral Joe Fowler, General Joe Potter, and Richard F. Irvine. Now, one piece of the Admiral Joe Fowler Riverboat is still a part of the Magic Kingdom, and you may have heard it without realizing what it is. The whistle from the Admiral Joe Fowler was installed on the Walt Disney World Railroad steam engine number four, the Roy O. Disney. Hmm. So two modes of transportation there, all at, on one yeah. vehicle. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that is a nice little touch. Yeah, I never knew that before. <laughs> Now, since we're talking about nautical themes, let's head over to the Columbia Harbor House. Besides tasty food and great views from its second floor, guests can enjoy looking at the maps, artifacts, and nautical knickknacks. Sharp-eyed guests may notice that each section of the restaurant is dedicated to a ghost ship or a ship lost at sea. The front windows on the top floor provides views of the Haunted Mansion, which may not be a coincidence. When you order your meal, look above at the beams where you'll see fishing spears hung on some of the beams. You'll see the same spear in the hands of the sea captain whose portrait hangs in the Haunted Mansion. Look on the wall to the left of the window facing the Haunted Mansion. You'll see a framed copy of a National Geographic map of the Ghost Fleet of the Outer Banks, marking the location of all 500 ships lost along the United States coastline from Virginia's Chesapeake Bay to the core banks of North Carolina. And on the wall directly opposite, Look to see the name of this room. Fans of the Pirates of the Caribbean films will appreciate it. Flying Dutchman. Yeah, I actually, you know, we've, we've talked about it on the the Walt Disney World edition podcast before and other other places. You know, Columbia Harbor House is actually one of the, the better quick service dining <laughs> options in mm-hmm. the Magic Kingdom. But then it, not enough people go and explore it. So we, we try to get the word out go upstairs and start to explore that upstairs portion of the restaurant see how unique it is making your way upstairs but uh you can actually spend a lot of time in there walking around checking out all of the the props and the artifacts and everything uh, hanging around in the decor um it is a very heavily themed restaurant in the same way that all of Liberty Square is and and you can spend a good time granted if you're interested in it and I think everyone who listens to this is interested in uh, <laughs> in this type of thing so if you haven't done so before 
definitely uh, enjoy a meal at Columbia Harbor House, but take the time to actually walk around and, and inspect everything in there. It is just a, a treasure trove of, mm-hmm. uh, of little artifacts and objects. It is. This is Disney Imagineering at its finest yeah. in terms of storytelling and theming. And you're right. I don't. I, I, you know, we tend to eat our meal and, and go out to to get our next fast pass attraction, so that a lot of people don't notice the details that went into this. Yeah. But um, it's it's very impressive that they put so much into just a little a little restaurant. Yeah. And uh, again, I, I'd like to think that our audience does care about mm-hmm. these details. So hopefully yes. they have uh, checked it out before. And if they haven't, they now know to. But remember, while, while it is great to hop on your favorite attractions and stuff, um, you know, there's part of the magic of Disney is finding those details. And this is mm-hmm. the perfect place yeah. to do so. And this is one of the reasons you can, you know, return to the Magic Kingdom so many times yeah. and see new things because of theming like this yep. in just all around that park. Uh, now, perched on a hill overlooking the rivers of America is the Haunted Mansion, which houses 999 ghosts. Although this is heavily based on Disneyland's Haunted Mansion, there are marked differences between the two attractions, where the exterior of Disneyland's mansion resembles a light, graceful, filigreed antebellum plantation house. The Magic Kingdom's mansion gives a much more brooding and menacing feel through its dark brick and stone gothic, similar to the great mansions of the Hudson River Valley. Um, If you'd like to hear more about how the original Haunted Mansion at Disneyland was developed, listen to my 60 Years of Disneyland series. When you approach the Magic Kingdom's Haunted Mansion, look at the center of the gates. You'll see the outline of a bat-like creature within the ironwork. And again, we're getting into deep, you know, we just finished talking about those details. This little detail helps to set an ominous tone as you step onto the grounds of the mansion. As you gaze up at the mansion, take notice of the ornamental stone pieces along the roofline. Now, Imagineer and Disney legend Claude Coates, who designed the facade of the mansion, enjoyed a good game of chess. Do those ornamental stone pieces resemble rooks, pawns, kings, and queens to you? There's some debate over it, so you'll you'll have to judge for yourself. <laughs> As you enter the queue, guests encounter an interactive queue with a murder mystery to solve that was introduced in 2011. Mm-hmm. The five busts, six if you count the twins twice, make up a murder mystery that you can solve whilst waiting in line for the Haunted Mansion. Um, Tombstones in the queue include a homage to Yale Gracie, who along with Roly Crump created many of the mansion's special effects. Uh, A leaking monument to a sea captain, and listen carefully, you may hear him sneeze. There's another monument in which guests can play the ghostly tune of Grim Grinning Ghosts, and guests even have the opportunity to help a ghost write a poem. Finally, new tombstones were added to honor the contributions of Paul Fries, who, of course, is the voice of our ghost host, and to Imagineers Ken Anderson, Roly Crump, and Blaine Gibson. So, Craig, what do you think of this um, addition to the queue? Um, I actually, I I really appreciated this when they first added it um, back in 2011. Uh, I 
you know, back then it was just, it, it, I feel like at that point in time, that's when Disney was trying to make everything with their cues interactive. Everything had to be interactive. So this was, this was one of the first in that step. And, uh, I, I think they did a really good job of it. And, um, now that it's been six years, I, I'd have to say that I, I feel like it's kind of, it's blended in very well. I wish a lot of the elements would, um, would be a little bit uh, more sensitive and actually work properly. No. <laughs> um, I feel like the story is is completely lost, and it just seems like, oh, here's some extra props and stuff. Uh, but it, it feels like it's been there now for a long time, if not since the attraction opened. So uh, I think in terms of blending it in with the entire story of the ride, I feel like it's a success in that part. Mm. So. I, I'm less of a fan. I'm not always. I, I'm not always. I, I don't always dislike new things. Yeah. I'm. I'm less of a fan about it just because. Um, it, it, it. The story always used to begin when you entered the mansion. Yeah. You didn't quite know what was in there, and now the story begins in the queue. Yeah. And I think it, it's. I, I think somehow it affects the story of the mansion. It it it, it affects the the broodiness and the menace yeah. of the mansion. It, it, and so for that reason, I don't care for the yeah. interactivity of it, it. It makes it way more playful from the start. Yeah, um, it doesn't have, you know, that's uh, that's part of the beauty of the haunted mansion is that it is this eerie, creepy ride for the first part that will make kids cry, but then. Once you get to the graveyard sing, scene and everything gets gets kind of goofy and a lot more lighthearted and funny, it, it kind of turns it all around. And now it, it does it establishes that humor right away. So it mm-hmm. it does clash. I will say that mm-hmm. um, it, it does clash. But uh, it's it, it I, I just you know as someone who's done it over and over and over and over again. You know, it's there's not a lot of secrets hidden left in. So for for the first time, or yeah, I could throw them off a little bit. But um, you know, you always have the option of just booking a fast pass and you skip all that, and <laughs> yeah. you you return, you go through the original way that you were supposed to. So mm-hmm. there's still yeah, the option. I, yeah, <laughs> and this and the haunted mansion is a must do for me. Oh well, yeah, when I'm in the Magic Kingdom, if I only go on one attraction, generally it's the haunted mansion. <laughs> Now, as you continue through the queue towards the side doors of the mansion, you come upon a graveyard with more tombstones paying homage to Imagineers who brought the Haunted Mansion to life, including ones for Claude Coates, Mark Davis, Tony Baxter, Yale Gracie, Francis Xavier Atencio, or Exatencio, and Leota Tombs. Be sure to pay particular attention to Madame Leota's tombstone. As you stare at her carved likeness, she may look right back at you. It, it's fun, like, uh-huh. catching catching people off guard. The, even people who've been there time after time and never noticed it because they're so concentrating on, okay, I've got to get in those doors. I'm, I'm yeah. getting through the doors so that they don't take the time yeah. to, to notice that. Um, especially when there's like a little kid around too and you can be like, hey, did you see that? <laughs> yeah. And start to freak them out too. I, mm-hmm. I love that little touch. I do too. And I, I love the graveyard. Yeah. And and, and, and I'm playing and, and figuring out, okay, who is who's the Imagineer that's honored here yeah. and all that. It, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. 
the stretching room is different in the Magic Kingdom's Haunted Mansion than Disneyland's. Okay, here's a little spoiler alert, so if you don't know this. In the Magic Kingdom, the room is pulled up and away from guests without descending. If you linger in the stretching room after all the guests enter the corridor, you may hear the gargoyles prompting you to exit the room. Yeah, this is one of my big issues. It's, I, I don't have a problem with it so much until I return home from a trip to Disneyland and going down down the elevator and seeing just how massive that stretching room gets. It is so <clears throat> impressive. And mm-hmm. then ours, it's like, just barely rises up at all. It just, it feels so... It's so unimpressive compared to Disneyland's, oh. but uh, I, I don't think you know, I've ever noticed that. Yeah, I don't know. Only, hmm. only like you know, I it's been a year now since I've been on Disneyland's Haunted Mansion, so like I, I wouldn't notice it as much. But if if I just return from a trip and I do Haunted Mansion, it's like it sticks out so much. I'm like, oh, hmm. I don't. I like I like how grand it is at Disneyland. Here, yeah. it's just rises up a little bit, and then that's it. <laughs> Yeah, and of course, you know, as I talk about in the 60 years of Disneyland series, there, there was a reason ours has yep. to descend, and that, that, quite a bit. Yep. And so, um, so listen, listen to that series, and you'll find out why. Um, now, the Magic Kingdom's Haunted Mansion contains a few extra scenes, such as the staircases with floating candles. I, I love that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hallway of portraits with eyes that follow you. I also love the wallpaper in the Magic Kingdom's Haunted Mansion with the opening and closing eyes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, You know, the library, another one of my favorite scenes, and the tomb with little Leota on the ledge. Um, Disneyland's Haunted Mansion has a corridor with the transforming portraits and windows showing a storm outside that guests walk through before boarding the doom buggy. So, and I like that because we really feel like we're we're walking deep into the mansion. And and I do enjoy that one because... you know, if it's the middle of the day and it's packed, it, it it's imp- just terrible going mm-hmm. through there at Disneyland. Kind of like when you leave our stretching rooms trying to get to the Doom Buggies, just backs up and is a complete nightmare. But Disneyland's is so cool when you head it like late at night or first thing in the morning. And, you know, there might only be like 20 people who are in there so you can really stop and pay attention to those but uh, like you said with the the staircase room and the library it's there's a lot of extra goodness and yes in our magic mm-hmm. kingdom version mm-hmm. i agree um now one of the most significant differences between the two mansions may be the hitchhiking ghosts disneyland's mansion retains the original hitchhiking ghosts who follow you home in april 2011 walt disney imagineering introduced a more prankish and interactive set of hitchhiking ghosts in the magic kingdom's mansion the ghosts now climb on in and around the doom buggies ezra pulling off the head of a guest and exchanging it with his own or phineas inflating a guest's head like a balloon then sending it flying to land back on the guest's shoulders are just a couple of the ghostly antics you may experience. And then this was a very controversial change. Uh, there are people that um, prefer the classic hitchhiking ghosts. Some feel that this, this, the more technologically advanced hitchhiking ghosts clash with the, the traditional scenes of yes. the haunted mansion. Um, what are your thoughts? I hate Craig? it. I hate really? it. I 
I prefer the old-fashioned um, mm-hmm. hitchhiking ghosts. Uh, yeah, it's not as... I guess to look at it visually, it's not as impressive, but but to me, it also is. These just look like, okay, well, you know, there we are in the mirror, and they're doing a little video magic in front of it. Mm-hmm. It just looks like video screens where the old-fashioned hitchhiking ghosts look like because of the 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 pepper's ghost effects it it actually looks like there is is a hitchhiking ghost in there with you and Mm -hmm. that's that's the opposite of this it's it's that feeling like there's something in there with you even though if you look over you can't see it versus okay well that's clearly just a video being played over top of it um it's a cheap effect and i i hate it i it has no no place i feel like it's it's dumbing down to the audience to try to get an extra laugh right at the end. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this is why we are a great pair on this show. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I, I think just because it's unique and I like that, I do like that the two mansions are different. Yeah. Now, if they did it in Disneyland's, then I would be very unhappy. Yeah. Because I like that we have the classic hitchhiking ghost that fits our mansion i think because you there's so many unique and there's other more advanced elements in the magic kingdom's mansion that disneyland's doesn't have because you guys got the refurbishment right after we did it doesn't seem as it doesn't seem as bad to me but i do agree with the comments that it does clash with the technology of the rest of the mansion. Yeah. I'll, I'll be actually honest. If yeah, I, I think it would sit better for me if they would even take out the animatronics as you first see them as you're leaving the the graveyard. If you saw video representations of the hitchhiking ghost right away, at least then it's not clashing. But it go <laughs> it goes straight from the graveyard. You see three old rickety animatronics and then all of a sudden they're doing crazy antics on your on your doom buggy it just doesn't make sense to me but Mm -hmm. um and like i as much as it would be a loss to lose those animatronics at least it would make more sense it would it would fit better so that, oh, that's you, just my take. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you know. Speaking of those last animatronics, audio animatronics, you know, you know why there's that the the rotund opera singer as one of the last audio animatronics as we leave the graveyard. No, because you know it's over when the fat lady sings. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should have known that. Yeah, but and that's why she's there. Okay, now that's that's the new tip that I'm going to tell everyone <laughs> yeah. for the first time. So I gotta yeah. gotta find someone who hasn't been on Haunted Mansion in a while and go tell them that. <laughs> yeah. Um, now both mansions have pet cemeteries, but in the Magic Kingdom's pet cemetery, you'll see a statue of J. Thaddeus Toad Esquire in memory of the popular Fantasyland attraction, Mister Toad's Wild Ride. Uh, since Disneyland still has this attraction, there is no tribute to Mr. Toad in the Pet Cemetery in that park's Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. Um, after perfecting the um, 
audio animatronics figure of our 16th president for the 1964-65 New York World's Fair and the successful run of Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln in Disneyland's Opera House. Imagineers were confident they finally had the technology to bring Walt Disney's Hall of Presidents to life. Imagineer and sculptor Blaine Gibson created all the presidential figures, with the exception of Presidents Barack Obama and the the soon-to-be-unveiled Donald Trump. Um, great attention to detail has been taken with this attraction, even down to the wardrobe for the presidential figures. Each suit matches the material used during the time period of each president. If you were to lift the pant legs of Franklin Roosevelt, you would see he is wearing polio braces as he did in real life. The facade of the Hall of Presidents was intended to resemble Philadelphia's Independence Hall. The facade was originally flat brick in 1971, with three windows directly above the three doors leading into the lobby. In 1973, the white veranda and breezeway were added. It took two acts of Congress for the great seal of the United States to be placed in the Hall of Presidents. You'll notice the date of 1787 is on the front of the building, the year the U.S. Constitution was signed. And this is because the original focus of the show was on the Constitution and the American presidency. And if you don't notice it, then chances are it's because Sam Eagle is about to pop out of where that 1787 would be and uh, do one of the Muppet shows that Michael has great feelings about. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> On October 1st, 1971, the Hall of Presidents show began with a film presentation of the history of the United States of America, showing that the American way was forged through conflict and many long years of struggle. The main idea of the film was that the United States is not free from improvements. The film also celebrated the liberties of the American people, the United States Constitution, and the progress of America in its early years. With the help of paintings from the era, the Philadelphia Convention is reenacted. George Washington, who is voiced by Disney veteran Paul Fries, and Benjamin Franklin, who is voiced by Lord Stobkin, um, who also narrated the original 1971 show, are heard making speeches to the convention. They assured all that this government was going to be different. After the formation of the Constitution, the first test of the New Republic was the Whiskey Rebellion, which proved that the government would use force to ensure domestic tranquility. Years later, President Andrew Jackson, who was voiced by Dallas McKinnon, was the first to deal with the secession by the southern states. Luckily, the talk was quelled and Jackson escaped the threat. The film then segued to the time of Abraham Lincoln, who was voiced by Royal Dano. When succession w- was a real threat. These paintings and vocal performances are similar, if not identical, to the same segment in The Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln presentation at Disneyland. Mm -hmm. The American Civil War portion of the presentation was based on The Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln presentation, including a nearly identical script, although to fit the much bigger screen of the theater rather than the much smaller one at Disneyland, new paintings were required to fill the screen. The Constitution survived the conflict, making America a truly unified nation. 
A huge era of progress occurred after the war, all the while the Constitution remained the tentpole of the country. The film then turned toward the future, saying that the leaders of tomorrow have to be committed to the Constitution and its principles if the country is to survive. A Saturn V rocket takes off and the screen then lifts up and the U.S. presidents take center stage. After the curtain lifts, all then 36 presidents are called in chronological order. At the time the attraction opened in 1971, the roll call ended with Richard M. Nixon. Each president responds to their name with a nod, wave, or other sign of acknowledgement. During the presentation, the presidents fidget, talk to each other, and look around, making this presentation seem even more realistic. Abraham Lincoln then stands and takes center stage. His speech is very similar to the speech he gave in Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. After his speech, the show concluded with a rendition of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, the same rendition used in Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. In 2009, the Battle Hymn of the Republic was replaced with America the Beautiful, but it switched back to the Battle Hymn of the Republic in 2011. Now, the Hall of Presidents has experienced a number of changes since the Magic Kingdom opened. The presidents elected since the Magic Kingdom opened were added within a year or so of their elections. But the show itself remained mostly the same, centered for many years on a film and a speech by Abraham Lincoln. In 1993, when the Bill Clinton figure was added, the pre-show slide presentation and Lincoln's speech were shortened, and Maya Angelou was added as a new narrator. When President Clinton figure made a few remarks, it, they were actually recorded by the president in the White House. And when George W. Bush became president, his remarks replaced Clinton's. And Maya Angelou's narration was replaced with one done by actor J.D. Hall. Before the 2009 updates to the show, including the addition of President Barack Obama, the Hall of Presidents was closed between October 31st, 2008 and July 1st, 2009 to undergo an extensive renovation to upgrade its audio and visual effects and systems. When President Obama recorded his speech for the updated show on March 4th, 2009 in the White House map room, he also recorded himself once again reciting the oath of office of the President of the United States. Morgan Freeman replaced J.D. Hall as narrator for the 2009 revised show, and George Washington, who is voiced by David Morse, was added as a third speaking president. The clip of the Saturn V launch was replaced with footage showing the first launch of the space shuttle Columbia. And this footage was actually recycled from the original Universe of Energy at Epcot Center. Hmm. I did not know that. Yeah. The Hall of Presidents currently features a short film depicting a historical account of several American presidencies, most notably George Washington, Andrew Jackson, and Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and John F. Kennedy. The film is followed by a stage presentation of all the presidents and features speeches by Presidents Lincoln, Washington, and the current president. And I really hope that they retain uh, this version of the show. I think this show is absolutely beautiful. Um, it's mm-hmm. it just, I know people think it's boring and 
because it is history, but I, I think it flows so well. Uh, it makes it makes the twenty minute presentation fly by in uh, in a heartbeat. And <laughs> the the Abraham Lincoln great moment section is just it's fantastic to watch at Disneyland. It's just as good watching it in uh, in Walt Disney World. I I absolutely hope they don't butcher this. <laughs> Um, I do too. I hope it's just simply adding the um, figure of President Trump yeah. and 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 his speech exactly. And that, I I think it's a marvelous show. It, it's one of my must sees also when oh. I go to the Magic Kingdom, and just as uh, American Adventure is when I visit Epcot Center. Yeah. No, I uh, I drive Kylie nuts with Hall of Presidents. I I get a kick out of it every single time. Um, it, it, just everything about the show the music the visuals the the animatronics it's it's walt disney mm-hmm. at his best it's yeah. disney at its best sorry not just not yeah. walt well you know it was it was orig- walt's original yeah. idea yeah. so and but uh and I, I sometimes get fascinated with watching what all the presidents in the background are doing oh yeah because that was when when they were told the presidents each have to have unique mov- movements the uh the imaginer said, "Are you kidding? <laughs> Do you know how expensive that is?" And but you know, Roy and 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 some of the other Disney executives said, "But people are going to notice this, yeah, and it's going to make this much more alive for them to see the presidents fidgeting, fidgeting, and whispering and shuffling. You know, and you, you don't they think, shift their weight. Yeah, you, you, know, you don't think like that, that they're not people. If if mm-hmm. everything was still, if it was just all plain still, it, it, that would call extreme attention to it. People mm-hmm. aren't still in real life for yeah. that long, unless unless you're a soldier falling in line. That's about the only way it would be be accurate. So it's yeah. just, it, it's perfect the way it is. It's, it's just like in the Tiki Room, where even the little birds that aren't featured, mm-hmm. you will still see them breathing and moving. Yeah. And uh, even if the spotlight's not on them. Yep, yep, so, exactly. Yeah. Now, the Hall of Presidents closed on January 17th, 2017 for refurbishment and the addition of President Donald Trump's figure. On June 25th, 2017, Disney Park executives announced the attraction will reopen in late 2017 and also confirmed that President Trump will provide his voice for the figure. I was so disappointed that um, it wasn't open for the 20th, uh, you know, the Diz's um, 20th anniversary mega yeah. meet. That's why I put off Liberty Square. Yeah. I was so convinced it was going to be open and we could talk about the updates. Yeah, I mean, to it's, Liberty Square. I think it all came down to what everyone speculates is that uh, there was zero interest in doing it immediately when he, he entered in and then uh, they must have either convinced him or he changed his mind and was finally open to do it. So uh, now they're now they're taking it seriously. So uh, you know, I guess it, it, it's a bummer that it didn't open up, especially right it, right before the Fourth of July while everyone mm-hmm. was celebrating. But um, well, we'll see what happens when it opens. Yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Now, when the Hall of Presidents reopens, you may wonder why there are only 44 audio-animatronic figures if Donald Trump is our 45th president. And that is because Grover Cleveland served as our nation's president 
twice, but in separate terms, making him our 22nd and 24th president. Well, Craig, we've traveled from colonial time to the present day. And do you feel Liberty Square has held up well over the decades? Uh, yeah, I uh, I would say arguably it's the it's probably the most well-rounded land in the entire uh, in the entire Magic Kingdom. The only one that I would put close to it is its companion land and Frontierland. Um, mm-hmm. I feel thematically, Frontierland has that that same exact flow throughout the entire land, and and so does Liberty Square. Like I I don't like the juxtaposition that happens in Adventureland, going from the lush tropical uh, nature to a lot of the more uh, Arabian architecture mm-hmm. <laughs> around the terrible flying carpets of Aladdin and then moving into everything with the Caribbean. I don't like that. Obviously, Tomorrowland's a complete mess, and <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, with Fantasyland, while while it's the classic land, it's still that mashup now between New Fantasyland, a circus, and then uh, the medieval tent style still. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel as a whole where Liberty Square and Frontierland to me both of those both of those lands in the Magic Kingdom feel like holes so I, I think overall while there hasn't been little changes in what has changed you know maybe maybe it's for the good maybe it's for the bad I, I think it's it is one of the best lands inside the Magic Kingdom and definitely definitely my favorite up there right with with Frontierland you know, it's funny for me, the the lands that are my favorite at Magic Kingdom and Disneyland are the lands that are the unique lands to each park mm-hmm. that are attached to Frontierland. I, New Orleans Square and the Frontierland area are my favorite at Disneyland. I could just spend all day in New Orleans Square. And and it's the same with I love Liberty Square and Frontierland, yeah. like you. And I, I think a lot of it also is because it's just not only the historical aspects to it and the details that are in all those lands, yeah. but it just the, the wide openness of it, the sprawlingness yeah. of it, because they're right on the rivers, and and they just you really those are the lands where I feel the most transported. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I feel like they just they have a different energy to them mm-hmm. than uh, than any of the other lands. And yeah. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head then comparing it to New Orleans Square with Frontierland. Like um, that's one of the best parts of walking around New Orleans Square when we go out uh, to California is walking with Corey, um, who grew up mm-hmm. in New Orleans in Louisiana, and he he can point out what truly came out of there and how how realistic it actually is um to regular new orleans and i feel the same i feel that same way with liberty square that you know that there is that basis in our history and it is very accurate minus muppets popping out windows that did not happen back then (laughs) but um i I feel like it 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 is rooted in something whereas as you said the rest of the lands they they aren't they're more there's more of a fantasy to all mm-hmm. of them where this just yeah. feels real and I, I love that yeah 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 and i and it feels like the park is without boundaries in those lands yeah because of the river just going off and going around the bend and 
I know, and, as if it's endless. Yeah, yeah well, and, and ours is in a way. Yours not mm-hmm. so much anymore. Now that it's a little bit shorter, but a little shorter. Yeah, which I believe that's still that yeah. the day this is. Uh, the day this is released, I believe that is the first day your Rivers of America is back open. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, well, in in October we will conclude our tour of Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom with the most troublesome and frequently altered realm of the Magic Kingdom, and that is Tomorrowland. Now, now should we just throw Tron in ahead of time and just act like it's already there? <laughs> Yeah, well, I, we'll have we'll, we'll have to talk about what the, you know the future will bring for that land. Oh, we will. So yeah, because it's coming. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, and I'm excited about it. We'll have to. Yeah. We'll talk more. Yeah. So. Now, uh, now, many books, films, articles, interviews, and lectures were sourced for this episode of Connecting with Walt, including Since the World Began, Walt Disney World, The First 25 Years by Jeff Curdy, The Hidden Magic of Walt Disney World by Susan Vaness, Walt Disney World, The First Decade by Walt Disney Productions, and More Secrets of Walt Disney World by Jim Corcus. Uh, there are some um, online articles I referenced. Um, Liberty Square and Frontierland, then in now by Brian Martsoff for Oliers.net. Liberty Square History and Fun Facts by Bill Iadonisi for WDWFacts.com and Colonial Christmas by Sean Slater. I'd also like to thank my lovely research assistant and wife, Carol Bowling, for her invaluable work locating some of the additional material I needed for this episode. Well, Craig, this brings us to the end of our July season for 2017. So, yes, it um, does, and it's yeah. been a fun one. I mean, uh, Discovery Bay, Bob Gurr, uh, finally jumping into Mickey Mouse. It's it, this one's going to be hard to top. Yeah, yeah, but but <laughs> we will do our best in October. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, so Craig and I hope you have enjoyed our connections with Walt over the last few weeks, and that you will join us again in October for more of our stories. Mm-hmm. So Craig, if our listeners can't wait until October, and I bet they can't, where can they see see you on the Diz Unplugged network of shows? Uh, of course, you can find me uh, Tuesdays on the Disney World edition. Sometimes Mondays on the Dreams Unlimited Travel Show, uh, Wednesdays on the Best and Worst Show, um, Thursdays on the Universal Show, Fridays on Dispop. I'm starting to slowly realize that I'm the only person that's basically on every single show, um, mm-hmm. minus the Disneyland <laughs> show, but... Uh, uh, I'm going to stay out of that one for now. I don't think I could fly out to California to join you guys every week. I, I just start getting too exhausted. You, you um, can do it through the magic of Skype. <laughs> it's record so late. Ten, you start at 10 o'clock at night? I mean to yes. sleep at some point. Um, but yeah, you can find me all over the place on there. Always follow me on Twitter at Teleclaster and uh, you know, it, it, you and I are working really hard to try to to fill in the gaps sometimes between these uh, long extended periods of months where we're having some downtime with with little bonus episodes when we can. So uh, we don't have anything in the works right now, but uh, I'm sure something something will come along that we'll probably get together and try to release something in between now and then. So just to just to keep you guys interested as well too. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you can find me every Sunday night on the Diz Unplugged podcast, Disneyland edition, with my good friends Tom Bell, Nancy Johnson, Mary Jo Mulata Willie, and Tony Spatel, where we have lots of fun talking about Walt's Park that started it all, and all Southern California theme parks, the Walt Disney Family Museum, and even more Disney history. Listen to us live on Mixler at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, Disneyland Time. And you can download our two weekly shows from iTunes each Monday. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at www.disunplugged.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. And uh, speaking of that too, um, it's I guess I'm able to announce as well too that uh, w- especially for right now when there's past episodes uh, that Michael's done on the history of Disneyland that will uh, definitely be... Uh, have a place to accompany some of the episodes we're doing here on Connecting with Walt, uh, we're going to make sure that they're also in our Connecting with Walt feed, too. So that way you don't have to, you don't have to take as much time and effort to go and, uh, and search them out. So we'll try to have them as uh, companion pieces going mm-hmm. up alongside. So uh, very excited. And um, yeah, you know, just, just another way to, to find those. Because I know, I know going through those archives, when you have over... 500 episodes of a show it's it's sometimes very difficult to, it is, yeah. to track them down it's hard for us to keep them archived in a clean way so hopefully this will help a little bit more <laughs> so it's like christmas in july we're going to start hey. uploading um we're going to start over time we're going to start uploading uh, some of my history segments from the disneyland show into the connecting with walt um feed yes so don't be surprised if you suddenly see a an episode of the Disneyland show from five years ago yeah. suddenly in connecting with Walt. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe you already listened to it before. It's about time you listen to it again. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and um, and you can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. On Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, Michael Bowling. And that's a fairly new page there, so you want to check that out. Um, Instagram, Michael Bowling the Diz. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney and his brother Roy. <laughs>